Communications disruption can mean only one thing. This is Jam Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of jammed to transmissions i'm of course of course am your host rick van weva and uh hey i'm glad you're all with me today because guess what it's star wars day yet again just like every day for us but um we got a lot to talk about today um we obviously got a new kenobi episode episode four chapter four came out uh, just a couple of days ago um I want to talk about a book I recently finished. Uh, we'll give a kind of a mini review and I'll let you know when that's coming up because there might be some spoilers for it. Um, I read and finished the Revan novel uh, just yesterday, actually, as, as of uh, recording. So we'll get into that a little bit. Um, I do want to talk about um, a couple of other things, um, specifically something that happened uh, on Twitter for me this past week. But I do have an announcement for you guys. Uh, first and foremost, right off the bat. Um, I do want to say that Jam Transmissions, as of a few days ago, were on Spotify. You guys can find us over there. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, to where you can find us. Um, all the episodes are there. Um, you can go back and listen to all of the uh, the fun times that we had with Pete and back when Josh was on before I came on um, and Eden. And um, you can hear all the uh, deliciousness that we got into way back when. Um, so go follow us over there, rate and review, all that good stuff. and. Um, if that's where you listen to podcasts, you can find us there. So that's uh, the first announcement right off the bat. But uh, something I want to get into, guys. So if you remember last week, I was talking about having met Howard Chaikin at Motor City Comic Con a few weeks ago. And uh, it was a very interesting uh, conversation that he and I had. You can go back and listen last week to some of the details of all of that. Now, I posted about it on Twitter um, last week. And I had uh, an interesting response from a user um, who goes by the name of, uh, well, Jack, at Jack A. Naples, uh, J-A-C-K-A-N-A-P-L-E-S. And uh, he threw a couple of things at me that um, put it into context. So I want to read a couple of these tweets that he sent me. And he says, um, let's see here. Okay, some context. Star Wars is the most famous book Howard Chaikin has ever worked on, to his great regret. In his words, he didn't get good as a cartoonist until his book, American Flag, in 1983. Uh, American Flag was brilliant and influenced The Dark Knight, Watchmen, and the movie Robocop. Uh, Chaikin drew the Star Wars comics before Marvel instituted royalties payments on comics. So even though Star Wars comics saved Marvel financially and sold so much Chaikin, and sold so much, Chaikin would have been a millionaire. He only got paid a page rate, which is why he sold the original art so fast. Lucas picked Chaikin for the Star Wars comics because he saw Howard's work on a strip called Cody Starbuck. By the time Star Wars came along, though, Chaikin wasn't into space opera. Excuse me, I'm kind of reading these out of order here. Um, it says it's worth pointing out that Chaikin is one of the great conversationalists in comics, not Star Wars, but many other subjects. And he respects fans enough to be honest with them rather than blow smoke up their backsides and talk about how he loves it in hopes of getting their money. So. I mean, if you kind of look at the response that I got from Howard and how it was uh, kind of less than pleasant, um, understanding what the industry was like at the time and uh, Mr. Chaikin's willingness to be frank with people instead of placating fans, uh, you know, he wants to tell it like it is. And you know what? I can respect that. I respect that. So I want to thank uh, Jack. Uh, for uh, responding, which I did um, at the time, and he responded then. Sometimes he said that if he knew it was going to be as big as it was, he might have worked harder. He's quick to point out, though, that it's possible his skill set wasn't up to it then. So it's work he isn't proud of, like 
uh, for what he did later and wants people to ask about it, um, the later work. So again, uh, thanks Jack for, um, responding to all of that. It was uh, very insightful because again, I thought maybe he was just a bitter old man, but, um, in light of um, reading this kind of stuff, it kind of puts that whole conversation into a different perspective. And uh, like I said, I appreciate the honesty on Mr. Chicken's part. And uh, who knows if I ever cross this path again, you know, I can ask him some other questions about American flag because I did look into those, uh, some of those books and uh, just kind of see what he was doing over there. So that's that. Thank you, Jack. Um, so this week I uh, went to the LCS, picked up a couple of books um, and, uh, picked up the print Leia princess of Alderaan volume two, uh, that's out, uh, by Yen press and, um, guys, the art in this book by, I think it's, uh, Haruichi is fantastic. If you're not into the manga adaptations of some of the star Wars books, I highly recommend getting these books to see, um, the artistic, um, descriptions that some of these Japanese artists are giving to these, these stories, they are fantastic. Um, and if you've read Claudia Ray's, Claudia Gray's Leia princess of Alderaan book, you know what you're in for, but it is nice to see all of that stuff put to the page with a more visual medium. Um, so I do recommend going to do that. And I also highly recommend if you're going to get books like this, order them from your comic book shop, they will get them for you. Um, most of the time at no additional cost. And like it was for my shop uh, here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, Vault of Midnight, um, they just ordered it outright for me. It was nothing additional for it. It was um, real easy. I got it the following week. And uh, that's how I get most of my manga titles uh, from them. Aside from all of my other, just, you know, my, my regular comic books that I get from there. So if you're in the uh, Michigan area, and Arbor specifically, go check out Vault of Midnight. They do have another location in Detroit, um, which was a, another really well set up store. So shout out to Vault of Midnight. Um, who, by the way, that book, that store was a recommendation to me from Jason from Blast Points. Uh, told me about that shop. I did was unaware of it uh, from when we moved from Chicago. And I had to find a new LCS and he recommended that store. And we've been going there just about weekly ever since we moved here late last year. So thank you, Jason. Thank you, Blast Points. Um, but let's get into a little bit of a review here, guys. I did read Revan. Um, I finished Revan last week, I should say. Written by Drew Karpishin. Um, was up, uh, you know, it's a Del Rey book. And uh, I, uh, every once in a while, I'll get curious and I'll go looking for some Legends titles. And if you guys follow me on Twitter, you know that... Um, I have the hashtag hardcover army of all my books there. And I think there's only two canon novels prior to this year that I did not have. There's a few releases from this year that I haven't picked up yet, or they, I should say they haven't come in yet because I like to get uh, signed editions. So Goldsboro and out of print, sometimes they come out a little bit after release date. So my copy of brotherhood should be coming in any day now. And I put in an order for shadow of the Sith recently. So hopefully those will come in signed and uh, in good condition because they usually do. Um, but with Revan, you know, trying to find some of the older Legends books, uh, you know, for me, I'm very particular. You know, I want first print, first editions of these books as a collector. This is my collecting space now has been books since I've kind of stepped away from collecting action figures, uh, Black Series specifically. Uh, but I will pick up the occasional Black Series figure every now and again. Um, so with Revan, you know, it was just, it's a gamble. You go online and you look at, you know, sites like eBay or you know, thrift books or whatever, Abe books, whatever's around it to see what you can find. Um, and uh, I got really lucky when on eBay and found a copy. Uh, pictures look like it was in decent shape. I was the only bidder on the book. And um, I got it for essentially cover price. Um, you know, I think the only thing above sh cover price was, uh, was the shipping for it. So um, it was... The book's in great shape. Obviously, the previous owner took good care of it, and I read it a couple of times. You can see it's a little bit loose in the uh, in the binding, but it's not too bad. Um, and you know what? It's going to look good on the shelf, and I will reread this book at some point. But let's get into kind of what this book is about. For anybody who's not familiar with Revan, uh, Revan was uh, a character in the Knights of the Old Republic video games. Um, and the, the Old Republic spans, you know, four or five thousand years before 
the Skywalker saga. Um, they are legends now. There is a KOTOR remake, video game remake that's coming out, I believe, next year from Aspire, um, which looks to be fantastic, even though we only saw a little tiny 15-second snippet of uh, of Revan in kind of the updated um, video game graphics. Still look great. Um, but Revan is a character who, in the video game, kind of skirts both sides, light and dark. I don't want to give too much away about the game itself, but uh, Revan's a very interesting character. Now, the book itself from what I understand takes place in between kind of in between both KOTOR games. Um, it's kind of like this in between story. And in it, you find out that Revan has had most of his memory wiped. Um, cause there is a time when he falls to the dark side, or uh, he's a dark side agent working with Malik. Uh, they try to take out the emperor. The emperor puts them under his control, or I should say Revan under his control. Revan, after some time, is able to break those bonds. And when he's brought back to the Jedi, he's kind of like reconditioned. And in doing so, they kind of strip some of his memories from him. Now, at the time, there's a lot of talk about the great hyperspace war that took place a millennia prior to this book. Um, There's a lot of talk about war with the Mandalorians and the Old Republic. Uh, And there is another really cool character in this book by the name of Candorus Ordo. Uh, who's a Mandalorian. And so what we have is Revan is slowly regaining some of his memories. And in doing so, he starts to learn uh, or he's having these visions of this location um, that he is having a hard time locating or even kind of remembering what it is. But as he kind of ventures off on this quest, you know, he leaves uh, Bastilashan, his wife behind. Uh, and at the time, I believe she's pregnant in the beginning of the book. Um, they uh he leaves to go try to unlock these mysteries about himself and uh try to become himself and see you know what he had done and how he can redeem himself uh since he's now back with the light um so he and Candorus go on this this mission they meet Candorus's wife um who's another mandalorian on um oh i can't even remember the name of the planet that they go to it's like this this ice covered world and while they're there they're looking for uh, the mask of Mandalore and in the hopes that it would spring some memories for him. Um, and in doing so kind of restore order to the Mandalorians himself, because after the war with the Mandalorians and the Jedi, the Mandalorians were kind of left in shambles, um, fierce warriors that they were, um, they were left kind of leaderless because the mask of Mandalore was, was hidden and, um, Revan, kind of has a, he has these visions of where it might be. So he takes Candorus to go find it. And uh, with the help of Candorus's wife and on a team of Mandalorians, they go, they eventually find a thing. They, they find the mask, uh, Mandalore's mask and a battle. There's a fight there. Uh, you know, again, spoilers for the book guys. If you never read it, um, you can jump. I just said this at the beginning, but um, Candorus becomes the new Mandalore. And, Revan but you know, leaves him and he says, listen, your people need you. I'm going to go, you know, find these other things um, about myself and try to see what's going on with the Sith because the Sith are around. They're kind of in hiding. There is a, uh, a Sith Lord by the name of Scourge who's off doing missions for a Darth Nyrus, uh, who is one of the, I believe, 12, one of the members of the Dark Council. There's there's 12 kind of like Grand Sith masters if you will and so scourge is off doing his missions with nyris she has him kill another uh council leader named zendris zendrix i forget uh, it's like x-e-n-d-r-i-x star wars spelling guys and um revan ends up getting captured he's imprisoned for three years the, and it's really weird. This is kind of one of my issues with the book is that this this three-year time jump, while it would be boring to write about what was happening during that time, it just jumps basically like almost from one chapter to another or like in the middle of a chapter where all of a sudden Bastil is there with their three-year-old son. And there is no exposition for the time jump at all. It's just it just happens and you're reading it and it's a little jarring. Um, so he's imprisoned by Scourge and Nyrus, and they're trying to get this information out of him, and he's drugged, and he, his con- Revan's connection to the Force is kind of um, weakened, but he is 
as strong as he is with the force, he can still keep his sanity, even though he's heavily sedated and drugged for most of the time. And um, he's kind of playing Scourge. He's trying to find out what he's getting this information from Scourge as, as he's thinking that he's getting information from Revan. And um, one of Revan's old uh, Jedi buddies who you're going to have to excuse me here, guys. I have to look up the name of the other character. Mitra. Mitra is the other Jedi. And she is trying to find Revan for Bastila. You know, Bastila can't really go anywhere because, you know, she's with her son. Uh, her son's name is Vayner, V-A-N-E-R, which obviously is a anagram of, of Revan. But she eventually catches up with Scourge and they... Scourge is convinced that he needs to help take down the evil emperor of this time. And they team up. They get Revan. Revan's smelly and disgusting because he's been in prison for three years. And um, he's given, Mitra gives him back his mask, the famous mask that we see Revan wear, um, you know, on the cover of the book and in the video game and stuff like that. And what that does is it brings back the whole flood of all of his memories that he could not uh, recall. And it kind of brings a strength back to him. Um, but guess what? He's still super sedated and he just kind of faints and, you know, he, Scourge gives him a, an antidote and, you know, he's kind of better and they go and they fight, they go try to take down the emperor in his stronghold. And Scourge at first tells the emperor that the council betrayed him. So, the emperor wipes out the entirety of the council and tells Scourge that he's, you know, he'll be rewarded for his loyalty, stuff like that. In the meantime, this is when the plan comes up for him and Mitra and Revan to go and take him down because this way he could get he can get close to him now. And the fight scene in this book, the way Drew Carpishan writes the fighting, uh, was actually it was pretty well done. You know, there's sometimes you can get lost into the, you know, just the wording of uh, the lightsabers flailed or. You know, he did a spin, you know, something like that. It's just, it becomes kind of a window dressing uh, for some writers. But uh, Drew Carpishan, same, just kind of like in the Bane trilogy, was it? He writes um, fight scenes descriptively enough so that, you know, they're really easy to follow. And uh, Scourge ends up betraying uh, Revan and Mitra. No surprises. Uh, he is still a Sith. And uh, he just stabs Mitra in the back. And she falls and she dies. And the emperor is, you know, blasting Revan with Sith lightning. And, you know, the mask is like burning to his face. And the emperor again tells Scourge, like, you're loyal. you've proven your, your loyalty yet again. I will have use for you. Um, do not kill Revan. I have use for him as well. And a direct spoiler here for the end of the book, guys. So Revan survives this thing. And he ends up imprisoned in this like this cage um, that is like surrounded by this like dark side aura, and his connection to the force is still there. But this cage keeps his force kind of within himself. Like he can't reach out through the force to talk to Bastila and all of this stuff. Um, and Mitra, even though she um, was taken out by Scourge, her like force essence exists right outside of this cage so the emperor is like feeding off of revan's force energy and the emperor is a thousand years old at this time so he's feeding off of revan and sharing thoughts with him things like that um and it's weakened revan can't really do much he's just hoping that his family is alive because he did see a hollow bit of them and Mitra's light side kind of force energy is just outside of this cage. And that is like feeding his light side energy and giving him balance and helping him to stay alive and stay positive and stay hopeful and stuff like that. And for Revan, he gives this kind of speech earlier uh, to Scourge and Mitra that he may be strong enough to defeat the emperor, but even if he's not fighting, the emperor would give the emperor pause to want to uh, attack the Republic it would make him, you know, step back and rethink all of it. And basically it's, it's, you know, the live to fight another day kind of mantra and whether 
Revan is the one to be the person to do that, or it's somebody else, his actions will lead to the day when that other person comes along to take the emperor out. And that's essentially where the book ends. Um, now the epilogue is Bastila and uh, Vayner are much older. It's been, I don't know, 40, 50 years, I believe. And uh, Vayner's married and has his own kids and they are force sensitive as well. And Vayner says to Bastila, you know, don't you wish he had come back? You know, do you wish, you know, you got to see him again? And she says, well, you know, kind of, of course, but, um, I have to thank him, uh, in, you know, like in my sadness and Vayner says, well, like, why would you be thanking him? And she says, because I know because of him, um, he's given us a life of peace and a, a, a life where we didn't have to fear. So his kind of plan to, you know, fight another day, whoever that person may be succeeded. And there's the hope at the end of this, this novel. So that's, you know, a very long synopsis kind of of what this book is about. I left out a lot of details um, and some characters and stuff like that, but uh, I did like this book. I, I did enjoy it. The ending was very abrupt and seeing the way Revan ended up in this cage was a little, um, I don't want to say disappointing is the right word because, you know, you kind of want him to have this, this heroic ending and to see that he ends up in, you know, kind of a purgatory away from his family. Um, but, you know, I guess happy in the thought that he gave them a life that he might not have been able to otherwise. Um, he never got to meet his son, um, which is, you know, very tragic. Um, but, you know, the love that he shared for Bastila and her back to him is what's keeping them both going at the end of the book. Um, so uh, I do recommend it. Uh, you know, it, Again, that there's a lot that I didn't get into in describing Drew Carpishan's writing style. Um, it's easy to get lost in it. You know what I mean? It's it was a fast read, and um, you know, go find a paperback copy for a couple of bucks, or you can go the route that I did and try to find a hardcover copy. Got to warn you though, some of the copies are not cheap because uh, the book is Revan's a very popular character um, because of the Kotor games. Um, so. Yeah, you know, I, I would recommend it to anybody who is interested in what was going on with the old republic and kind of the politics of the time. So it's um it's good for a lot of that, and it is good to see to get the story of Revan outside of the video games. So uh, yeah, if you're interested, I'd say go ahead and pick it up. But now let's get into kind of the the bulk of the show here, guys. Let's talk about chapter four of Kenobi. Um. I've kind of seen the I've seen the consensus online of what you know people think, and you know I've heard a couple of shows about it, and uh, some very positive, some maybe not so much. Um, but to kind of tell you where I'm at with episode four, I'm not one for rankings, guys. I I don't like to rank Star Wars anything. You know, to me, it's all one big story. But as these episodes have come out, I can say that this one is probably my least favorite of the four. Um, not to say that it was bad, but there were some things in this episode that really had me kind of scratching my noodle. Um, some of the writing in this episode, the dialogue was not great. And I know like Star Wars dialogue in general can be not great at times, but there was some stuff in this one that just kind of left me, eh, you know, just not really feeling very much about it one way or the other. Um, I, there were just some things that I, I wish had been a little bit better or tweaked a little bit. Um, Overall, really fun story. Um, the beginning scene with Obi-Wan and Vader in the Bakta tank, uh, both of them in Bakta tanks, um, doing their synchronized swimming in the force was um, was a really cool way to to bump in the episode. And I was really hoping to get some kind of flashback stuff for, for Obi-Wan, a vision or something, like I was saying last week, to get that, that Anakin to Vader concept art image from the force awakens would have been cool to see that. Uh, but alas, we did not get any of that. Um, and you know, to have them, to have Obi-Wan, you know, rush out and, you know, Tala telling him like, Hey, hey you're not healed yet, man. You got burns and stuff on you. He's like, you don't understand. I need to go save this girl. And, you know, at this point they're on Jabim and here's where we meet, uh, Roken and Wade, and Sully, uh, the two um, T-47 pilots. Uh, nice shout out to the uh, airspeeders, snowspeeders from uh, Empire Strikes Back. 
And uh, in a blink or you might miss it moment, uh, the High Republic shows Christina Ariel just walked by in the background. Beautiful afro and everything. It was uh, to see her say, put that up on Twitter, say that uh, she took a trip to the Jabim last year and uh, now she can finally tell everybody. So that was really cool. And I made the joking comment of, uh, well, now we know who scrawled for Light and Life in Orabesh in the the Path Safe House uh, in episode three because, uh, guys, she does like High Republic stuff. I don't know if anybody told you. Anyway, so it was cool to see her there. So we get uh, Roken played by O'Shea Jackson Jr. O'Shea Jackson Jr. That's almost a tongue twister. Uh, who, you know, in case you don't know, that's Ice Cube's son. But Roken, in just a couple of lines of dialogue, exposition, if you will, um, lays out a really fantastic and fascinating backstory for himself. where. Obi-Wan tells him, like, you don't know what the Empire is capable of. And Roken says, hey, my man, I do, because my wife had to hide her abilities and she still got found by the Inquisitors. So his wife was a Force-sensitive individual who was on the run. And, yeah, man, give me give me one of those kinds of stories. You know, it's almost like a, like a Rogue One with Force users. Um kind of thing it's it just something about it just felt very grounded and uh, and heartbreaking to get that story from him i loved his performance i loved the dialogue that he had with obi-wan and of course you know meeting wade and sully uh right around that time too was uh, was pretty cool and having them come into the story so the plan from this point going forward is to head into the fortress inquisitorious or as i heard uh on another show I, somebody said mistakenly um the inquisitarium and I know that was a slip of the tongue by the person who said it. I don't, I apologize because I don't remember what show it was because I listen to a lot of podcasts, guys. Um, but it just, it seemed to fit because half of that bitch is underwater. So I'm, I'm calling it the Inquisitarium from now on. Um, so thank you. I'll, I'll figure out who it was and I'll let you know ne- next week who it was. Um, and so the plan is to have Obi-Wan break in. Tala's going to be the inside person kind of helping him get around and Shades of Phantom Menace right here. He's got the rebreather in his mouth like he did swimming into the Gungan City, uh, which is really cool. Um, but I got to say, the Empire, the Inquisitors, learned nothing about um, door locks because uh, Jedi Fallen Order had Cal Kestis basically go in and infiltrate the base the exact same way. So um, there's a little bit of a weakness in your design there, uh, whoever designed the thing. Um, anyway, but you know what? We wouldn't have a story if Obi-Wan didn't get in. So there you go. So he gets in and, you know, takes out a stormtrooper and he's kind of, you know, sneaking around the halls. He's got some cool Jedi robes on again. Kind of looks like his attack of the clones, uh, wardrobe, um, look pretty slick. And at first he's a little rusty with the force, you know, he's kind of, you see him using his lightsaber and stuff. Actually, no, we don't see that till a little bit later. But so there's, there's an interesting conversation with Leia and uh, and Revan and is uh, Riva. And as much as I liked these two together, some of the dialogue between the two of them was just a, just a touch. I don't know what it was, but I was like, that was a normally I can get lost in the show on the first viewing, and this was a point where I, I was aware that I was watching actors. I don't know what it was, but something about it just kind of just took me out for just a second. It wasn't awful, but it just something about it. Um, Leia's line of, uh, is this a staring contest? Love it. Loved it so much to have her give some snark back to Riva. I mean, this is the same person who told Tarkin about his foul stench <laughs> to his face. So it's not out of character for her to be that way. Um, I thought it was great. And Riva in trying to get information out of her, tries to like tap into her mind with the force, kind of like how we see Kylo Ren do in the sequel trilogy. But Leia is able to resist it, and it begs the question, does Reva have an idea that Leia may have some kind of force sensitivities? Because um, you would think, coming across a just a 10-year-old, without it, it would be really easy to get into their thoughts. So who knows what um, what's going through Reva's head as far as um, what she's thinking about Leia. So in order to get information out of her, they take her to this, this torture chamber, which is a really cool design. And, you know, it's just the, um, the torture 
gurney that we see in Empire Strikes Back that uh, Han Solo is strapped into. And um, it's just in this room. And Reva leaves her in there with a couple of stormtroopers. And this scene was so badass because then the lights go out. And you just see the blue lightsaber take out one stormtrooper, goes off. Comes back around to the other side of the room, takes out the other guy. And damn if it didn't remind me of the Betray trailer for The Force Unleashed 2, um, where a very similar thing happens, where Vader tells a bunch of stormtroopers to kill um, Starkiller. Um, and same thing, lights go out, he takes out all the stormtroopers and stuff like that. That's a cool game trailer. But it reminded me of that. And if you think about it, I think this is the first time we've ever seen, uh, at least for original trilogy stormtroopers, a lightsaber taken to their armor. I don't, I don't think we see it in the original trilogy at all. Um, and also, if you think about it, the first time Obi-Wan fights an original trilogy stormtrooper. And there was an interview, I remember, of Ewan saying that he never got a chance to see any stormtroopers. It was all clone troopers in his movies, um, in the prequels. So... You know, this is uh, kind of a first for him to see the OG stormtroopers and, and take a couple of them out. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, there, you know, some other stuff that was going on in this episode. You know, they, they, he gets Leia out, and uh, in one of the the goofier moments of this episode, um, the uh, the trench coat scene. Woof! This thing um, again. I was watching it, and I you know I kind of rolled my eyes at it. It's silly. It is so silly and over the top. But there was that part of me that I, I couldn't get out of the, and this is like the immersive part of my brain. It's like, this place is filled with soldiers of the empire. These stormtroopers, there's imperial officers. There's, I think I saw some of the fallen order scout troopers in the background at one time, at one point. Um, and they don't see him walking to the hangar <laughs> with this little girl um, under this gigantic, you know, cartoonish <laughs> trench coat. Um, it just absolutely ridiculous. Um, whatever it is, what it is, but man, was it silly. Um, and at that point, Reva then, you know, catches them uh, on the hangar. Um, but you prior to all of this, you know, the scenes with Tala where she's kind of guiding Obi-Wan around. Um, and she just walks up to a terminal, plugs in up, speaks in the, the loudest whisper, in uh, the history of the galaxy uh, that nobody can hear. I don't know, whatever. She's got some special frequencies. She can <laughs> attune her voice to where nobody can hear her loud whispers um, to give him directions on where he's got to go. And she gets, she gets caught at one point and uh, she takes out the Imperial guy that the officer that confronts her. And then she ends up with these two stormtroopers. And this was another one where I was just like, okay, this was the a bridge too far moment of the episode where she fights two stormtroopers barehanded Um and like basically just kind of like neck chops one dude and then like grabs the helmet of the other guy like under the chin and just like pushes him down. Um, I don't, I don't know what to say about it, except it looked weird. Um, you know, it's one of those things where if I just told you like, Oh, Tala fought two stormtroopers and got out. Your imagination will lead you to believe it was probably something more than just, let me touch both of your faces um, with slaps. And it just, it seemed really, really weird um, that she got away that easy, but whatever, I, you know, just uh, it's, it's a criticism, but it, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't ruin the episode for me because again, I look at the story that's presented and not some of the specifics on the screen, but it was, it was jumping out right at me, um, slapped me in the face and it took me down. But anyway, so at this time, while they are, on the hangar, uh, trying to get away, uh, the two T-47s, Sully and Wade, uh, pop up to try to get them out of there. The, uh, Obi-Wan and Leia jump in Sully's, um, airspeeder, her T-47, and, uh, Wade comes in shortly there afterwards. And, you know, I did a little digging with these names because, we, you know, Easter eggs abound in every episode of everything Star Wars. And I got to wondering where these names might've come from. Um, so Wade uh, who does have a last name in the show. I don't remember what it is, but he's got a Wikipedia page already. Um, but there is a character named Wade Vox, who was in a, a Star Wars video game, a Dreamcast game called uh, Star Wars Demolitions. He was a pilot in that game. So I was just like, eh, I'm wondering if that's 
you know, any kind of connection, probably not, but it just seemed like, you know, a kind of a cool throwback to uh, another video game. And for Sully, um, there were, there were two pilots named Sully in legends for star Wars. Um, both of which were male. Um, one of them was an alien called a trunk trunksk, um, who was from, let me see, I wrote it down here. Uh, that character's name was Sully Tiger Eye. Uh, this trunk, this trunks character from uh, a star Wars tabletop, um, RPG game, uh, called the star Wars adventure journal from 1995. Um, very interesting looking character. I don't know how to describe him. You'll have to look it up yourself. And there was another Sully uh, named Sully Olvar, uh, who was from a short story that Jason Fry wrote in an episode or an issue of Star Wars Insider. Uh, the story was called Last Call at the Zero Angle. And um, knowing that Pablo Hidalgo is the lore advisor um, for Star Wars television now. Uh, it, it wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him to throw these names in there. It's just kind of like, a, oh yeah, these were characters from this other thing, even though they're not one-to-one to what those other characters are. Um, we do get uh, a couple of other names. I think uh, Balnab is the name of a location um, that has some ties to the Clone Wars. And uh, I can't really think of too many other um, little Easter eggs that were in this episode. I'm sure that there's a ton of them. Um, probably the biggest uh, kind of connecting thing was... Obi-Wan getting Leia out of that hallway underwater where the glass is broken. This is where Obi-Wan finally, you can see that he's connecting with the force again. It's coming back to him. Um, He uh, deflects a blaster bolt into the glass and he's using the force to kind of hold it um, until Leia can get out of the hallway and he's deflecting these blaster bolts and stuff like that. And, uh, while he does that, she finally gets out tall as on the other end. Um, he lets the water go as all the strong troopers start to come in and man, it would have been cool to see Obi-Wan use the speed run that they did in the fight in the Phantom Menace in this scene. But I guess they could explain it a way that he's like, well, he's not that strong with the force just yet. He's not fully, you know, back in, uh, you know, full fighting mode, but man, it would have been cool just to have that little throwback because there were a ton of other throwbacks in this, but that scene was very reminiscent of, um, a scene that happens at the end of Jedi fallen order where that's how Cal Kestis gets out of the Inquisitarium. Um, he breaks the glass and he's able to swim out with, uh, Sarah Junta and, uh, that's how they get away. Spoilers for the game. Um, so there's that, um, probably the, the, the scariest. Well, let's get back to, let's get back to Wade and Sully for a second. So they, they rescue, um, Obi-Wan and, uh, and Leia and poor Wade just hung out for a half a second too long. And, uh, Reva threw some, uh, cargo containers or something at him and, uh, blew him out of the sky. So RIP Wade. It's made me think that later on, Obi-Wan was, uh, getting swiped by Vader and a new hope. And he just whispered for Wade. You know, because uh, his sacrifice right there. And, uh, you know, the episode ends with, you know, Sully coming to the realization that, uh, guess what? They're soldiers now. And now uh, they're part of a bigger fight. So, uh, you know, some things about this episode. Thematically, if you look at where Obi-Wan was in the beginning of the show. Um, disconnected, cut off from the force. And, you know, set this parallel to this desolate world that he's living on he's in this cave he's not a part of an active community except for when he's working um he has no connection with people and therefore no connection with the force um if the force is an energy field that binds all living things and he has no connection to any living things it would be that much harder for him i would think um to have any meaningful connection with the force outside of the fact that he has no willingness to um which we see with him trying to commune with with qui-gon now what's happening with him is he's starting to realize that there is this kind of uh, hands across the galaxy approach to wanting to help people. Um, you know, there's, there's the path where, you know, Quinlan and other people are trying to rescue force sensitive children. You know, it's how he meets Tala in the last episode. There's people like Roken and Sully and Wade who are willing to throw their hat in and risk, 
um, their own lives to help essentially total strangers. And Roken's story with his wife and how she was taken from him and, you know, slaughtered or whatever by the Inquisitors. Um, building meaningful connections and relationships with real people again, I think is symbolically what's bringing him closer back to the force, back into this connection with life in and of itself, because he's having meaningful relationships with people now. Um, and it's building his strength and his confidence back. And it's really cool to see it. Um, and the scene in the episode where while in the uh, Inquisitarium, he comes across these like these tombs, uh, these uh, these ember display cases. You know, this is like uh, Darth Vader's Black Series ca- uh, display cases, and uh, we see um, these these fallen either Jedi or Force sensitive people. Um, most notably, Terra Sinube, uh, who was a character from Clone Wars. He was an older Jedi who actually has um, a presence in the High Republic books. Uh, one or two of them. Um, he's got this really cool lightsaber cane, and uh, I think the episode he's in is called um, "Was It Lightsaber Lost?" Something to that effect. Uh, Soka loses her lightsabers, and um, he puts her on this quest. And uh, he's this kind of like kindly old man Jedi who's got a, a lightsaber hidden in his cane. But he's the first person that we see in the um, in the Ember, and we see some others. Um, you know, some somewhat maybe familiar looking. Um, you know, probably the most heartbreaking is the Jedi youngling. Uh, that we see who still has like the training helmet on, which man, if he was being hunted and running around and stuff and that thing didn't fall off, he either has a very large head or he was wearing a chin strap or something. Cause uh, I can't see that thing uh, sticking around. Uh, but I did see an image online of somebody speculating that that youngling in the Ember is actually one of the kids from the opening scene from episode or from chapter one. Um, he's like one of the boys up on the far right. If you're watching the opening scene, um, it looks a lot like him and, uh, just, you know, tragic. And what's weird is, you know, none of the people in the Ember look like they have any, like they were harmed. Um, it looks like they were, they almost look like they're in stasis, like they can be brought back. Um, that is probably not the case, you know, but because carbonite exists and maybe if they wanted to do that with people, they would just put them in carbonite. Um, but I think just as uh, viewers, they wanted to make it very shocking for us. So they put them in ember so that we can actually see who's in there and the, the looks of horror on their faces. And that said, I got to say this Vader series, uh, this, this Vader series, this uh, Kenobi series has given us some of the scariest, uh, you know, star Wars content that I think we've ever gotten. I mean, Vader was scary back in the OT. The emperor definitely scared me when I was a little boy. Um, you know, I having seen return of the Jedi when I was five, uh, the first time scared the hell out of me. Um, but some of the stuff that's in the series is very, very unsettling uh, to see the youngling encased like that, or just to see these, these force sensitive uh, encased in that. And I've seen a lot of people that are like trying to like really zoom in on some of these pictures and find out who's in some of these other um, catacombs. And um, I did see one image and it almost kind of looked like Mace Windu was in one of these things, but it's such a, like zoomed in kind of blurry shot that, I mean, it's probably not, um, or you know what, it's the internet. So maybe it's, you know, nothing at all. Maybe somebody has made it or did some kind of their Photoshop wizards. I don't know. Um, but I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that Mace could be in there, um, at some point. Um, but you know, I gotta say overall, this episode has been, um, Again, not my favorite, but there's a lot of cool stuff in it. You know, I just, if, if I was to tell you the story of the, well, I kind of did, but to tell you the story of the episode, it sounds like a lot of cool stuff happened and it did, but there was just some, you know, a few moments here or there that, that didn't really sit well with me. Um, I want to talk about uh, Reva for a second, because I think this episode with her conversations with Leia gave us kind of some good insights, um, although minimal uh, into kind of her backstory by saying that she once had a droid um, that was taken away from her too. Um, The the resentments that she has, uh, it almost seems like it's because she ended up where she is. And I kind of alluded to this last week 
She is where she is because nobody came to rescue her. And to see how angry she is at the end of the episode for someone to come back and rescue, try attempt to rescue Leia, uh, or even for Obi-Wan just to try to attempt to uh, rescue Leia, probably really had to burn her ass to think that there was somebody out there that cared. That Obi-Wan cared enough for this little girl, but not for her when she was at the Jedi Temple way back when. Um, and to see this anger manifested and how the dark side feeds off of that. Because by the time Vader comes in and immediately force chokes Riva, you know, picking her up in the air, you know, saying like, you failed me. You let him get away. He was here. I could have had him. And, but Riva's she's sneaky. She put that, um, that little tracker inside Lola. Lola opens up a red eye and I, <laughs> it's their next episode's going to be, it's going to be a barn burner, man, these last two episodes. And I, I did, there's this theory going around that the six episodes of this series are thematically kind of connected to um, the prequel and original trilogy. Um, you know, where you know, chapter one had, you know, things thematically that connect to Phantom Menace all the way up to this one, which was very A New Hope with, um, you know, parallels to the Death Star rescue and things like that. And if the next episode is going to be thematically something like The Empire Strikes Back, um, man, uh, we're in for a ride. Uh, obviously, it has to end somewhere hopeful, which is how Return of the Jedi ends. Um, thinking, you know, Obi-Wan getting to a somewhat better headspace with, um, you know, leading into the years uh, prior to A New Hope. But if we're looking at these parallels with, if there is some kind of connection to the movies, if that's how they frame this, if that's intentional or not, uh, again, it's just a theory. Um, but if it ends with, if Return of the Jedi ends with, you know, Luke seeing the three force ghosts, who's to say at the end of this, that's when we get Qui-Gon is at the very end um, of him saying, you know, you found your way back to the force, back to the light let me help you from here on out. And that's how the story ends. There's rumors of a second season of the show, which as much as I'm enjoying the show, I don't know if I want another season because it seems like a very self-contained story. I don't know if I want to see Obi-Wan going off on other adventures, um, off world, you know, cause you can't have too many ties with Luke at this, at this point. Uh, Luke is aware of him later on in a new hope. He knows who he is uh, from stories that uncle Owen told him. And, um, Guys, we still haven't seen Bonnie Pisa in this series yet. We're almost into the fifth episode, and we haven't seen Amperu anywhere. Um, maybe we catch her walking by in, in uh, you know, for a glimpse in episode in chapter one. Um, but you know, this whole episode has been rants and tangents, guys. So bear with me here. In in Queen's Hope, um, Baru is helping people slaves get off of Tatooine. Um, she's part of a network with, um, with Sabe, um, in a storyline that started in, I believe it was Queen shadow. Um, they're part of this network to help people. So she's doing something on Tatooine at this time, um, trying to help people. And I don't know what uncle Owen's, awarenesses of all of that. I don't, that's kind of left, I think unclear in Queens hope, but you know, that's, that could be a thing that Obi-Wan gets himself involved with. Again, if there is some kind of continuation of a story for the series, if there is like a season two, maybe that's something that Obi-Wan does. Um, I, it can't just be him for the next nine years in the desert talking to Qui-Gon. I don't, again, I don't know what that would mean for a show. And again, I don't think he can have too many connections with Luke um, between this point and a new hope. Cause Luke doesn't really seem to know him all that well by the time episode four comes around. So, um, I don't know, but guys, if you have any, uh, thoughts or theories onto what these last two episodes are going to bring us, um, I'd like to hear them. Uh, or by the time the next episode rolls around, you, you'll probably have a couple of days to get an email in talking about episode five, um, chapter five. So since I'm, you know, kind of recording on the weekends now. So if you got some time and thoughts and you want to drop me a line, you can send me some comlink chatter uh, to comlink 
C-O-M-L-I-N-K at jamtransmissions.com. I'd like to hear from you, like we heard from our buddy Pete last week. Um, Guys, I think we're going to go ahead and start wrapping it up. Uh, As I said in the beginning, you can find us on Spotify now. Um, I'm trying to see what I can do to get us on some of the other platforms that we were not on. And, um, but I'm taking my time with it guys, because, uh, I have a job and a family and stuff and, uh, that stuff takes a lot of time to, to get into some of the nitty gritty, with that's that stuff. So bear with me. Um, but if you can give us a follow on Spotify, rate and review all of that fun stuff, I'd like to hear or see kind of what's, um, uh, some, uh, some followers there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cad Bain's bounty where I'm having a good old time posting just the dumbest memes and uh, hoping I'm making people laugh every now and again because Twitter's kind of a hellscape uh, most of the time. But uh, I try to have fun with it. And you can follow the show at JT Comlink on Twitter, um, where, again, since I'm running that account too, I'm posting other stupid memes and stuff, maybe about the show. Maybe I'll post some questions and see what kind of people, uh, what y'all are thinking about some of the episodes or just kind of things in general. Um, what's got you excited? What aren't you excited about? Uh, what do you want to see for the rest of the year? Uh, what's on your mind? Let me know. What are you collecting? Hit me up. You know, again, drop me an email, comlink at jamtransmissions.com. But guys, uh, that's going to go ahead and do it for this week. As always, uh, I'm over here talking to myself, but um, you know, as much as Star Wars is my input, there's a lot that I read and focus on and watch. Um, I'm glad to have this avenue as an output, as an outlet for a lot of these thoughts. So I thank you all for listening. Um, and guys, you know what? I forgot to mention this from time to time. You will catch me on Patreon shows for children of the watch and they can be found on Twitter at COT watch. Uh, their Patreon starts at two bucks a month, get an awesome discord, talk with a lot of cool people over there. And, uh, maybe sometime soon myself and, uh, Alex will get to do uh, another High Republic book review because there's a lot of stuff that we missed. I know Alex is uh, very busy. He's got a baby on the way. And uh, so uh, shout out to Alex and his wife and uh, the baby who's going to be coming very soon. So guys, I'm going to end it here with that. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're a new listener, thank you. Welcome. And I will talk to you all next week. May the force be with you. <laughs>